John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Morning, everybody, here on this uh, Monday. Kind of a a little wet Monday. And, of course, uh, we had some winds and everything last night. So uh, I know our power went out for a little bit. But we are... uh, here, boy, you talk about the power going out. What a crazy game that was yesterday. Certainly one of the most exciting I think we've ever seen in CenturyLink. <clears throat> kind of brought back you know, the memories of that uh, you know, great comeback against Green Bay in the playoffs. The great uh, game that uh, Russ, uh, Richard Sherman got the interception when they went deep on him. Uh, and... Uh, in in that championship game against the 49ers, but again 27 to 26, the uh, the victory that now puts the Seahawks at five and zero. So we've got a lot to get into. So let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one, Russell, look out! He's going to fire inside, reaching up, making a catch. Does he hang on? He does. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown, Seahawks, and it's Metcalf who reaches up and makes the catch, crossing the field, making the catch in the middle of the end zone, and Russell finds him and throws a dart. And we all waited to see who it was, Dave, that made the catch, because it could have been anybody. But it was Metcalf going to the ground. Perfect pass by Russ, and absolutely no doubt about it, Russell Wilson comes back for his 34th career fourth quarter or overtime comeback and Seattle now leads 27-26. And that's certainly one of the greatest comebacks in Russell Wilson's career. And, you know, I I know that uh, it's up and down as far as the thoughts on this. And I know the analytics people basically said it was kind of a wash for Mike Zimmer, whether he should have gone for that fourth and one or whether he should just take the field goal and take the eight-point lead. I think it was a mistake because all it did, it gave Russell Wilson the chance then to try to come back and, uh, you know, get, get the one touchdown that gave him the win as opposed to getting the touchdown and a two-point conversion. So, uh, but again, it gave him the ball ninety with less than two minutes left, and he drives 94 yards, overcomes two fourth down plays, and then gets the big pass to DK Metcalf to win the game. Another big pass that uh, was able to go for the first down. They were able to uh, go and do something, and this is kind of interesting because uh, they win without completing a third down conversion but you know so much of that was because they had so many backed up situations where it was second down 16 third down 21 third down 16 you know you could see that of course a bunch of sacks on third down particularly all in the first half that really gave them no chance to even get that but the fact that they were able to convert to fourth down plays particularly at the end of the game was huge i mean this was game that uh, really Minnesota somehow dominated, and they came out with the uh, you know passing offense. Basically, it was running with uh, Dalvin Cook, and then also kind of mixing the screen passes. Basically, what Gary Kubiak does as an offensive coordinator. And then I thought what was interesting is that uh, you know with the young cornerbacks they had, you know they stayed pretty much in either cover two or cover four, and then tried to kind of blanket the short area in the middle, and that forced Russell Wilson to either you know run the ball, have a lot of his sacks. I think. 
three of those sacks were coverage sacks, and then of the four that he got in the game. But uh, you know, finally they were able to get some running plays. They had to drop the ball off a lot to Chris Carson. But uh, in the end, they went in the second half uh, at the beginning a little more two tight end sets, which is really good against the uh, kind of a zone type defense. So now a five and zero start, which is of course the uh, you know the best start in franchise history, and now a bye week. Minnesota, by the way, possessed the ball for thirty nine minutes and twenty eight seconds. So an unlikely victory, but a victory nevertheless. We're going to take your phone calls at ten thirty to see what you think about it. Number two, just the way the whole game was going. I mean, just kind of watching how we were playing as a whole, how he was playing. Uh, you could tell he was affected by his ankle. I mean, uh, you can ask him more when he gets in, but uh, I, I know he doesn't normally throw the ball that way, and uh, I think he was struggling a little bit because of it and the way the game was going that I was going to keep putting him in those positions and knowing we were going to have to throw it a lot to come back. Boy, I tell you what, it was an amazing day in the NFC West and a day that really did help Seattle. Maybe he's helped the Rams to a certain degree, too. But I think the big thing was, and that's Cal Shanahan talking about the benching of Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he made a mistake by starting him. I think you can see with that high ankle sprain, and usually high ankle sprains can be four to six weeks. He was coming back after missing a couple games, and he just wasn't there. I mean, he was in his right foot. So, again, he couldn't really plant his foot and be able to throw the ball as he normally would. And so he had two interceptions, seven for 17, 77 yards. C.J. Beathard came in <clears throat> to take over, but the Dolphins go to San Francisco and win 43-17. to They were strapped for no cornerbacks pretty, pretty much with injuries, uh, but couldn't get anything going for the uh, 49ers on offense and nothing going on defense. And so now they're 2-3 and three, and they've got three losses at home and they enter their toughest seven-game stretch coming up. I mean, they could be eliminated uh, from go- even going to the playoffs after winning 13 games last year. Arizona was able to get an easy 30-10 to 10 victory over uh, the New York Jets, but in that game, Chandler Jones suffered a biceps injury and so it looks like his season is done. Cardinals, of course, the next opponent for the Seahawks. Uh, or, or Cardinals you know, Cardinals get in there and they play Dallas this week. And then next week they play the Seahawks after the bye week. Uh, Rams got an easy victory. Uh, no problem there as they go 4-0 and uh, against the NFC East. And so, uh, you know, they, they're in good shape. So uh, that was one where 4-0 against the NFC East, which is the worst division maybe in NFL history. But nevertheless, it was a good day for Seattle, a good day for the Rams. And, of course, kind of a bad day in the sense that Arizona loses their best defensive player and the 49ers right now are losing everything. Number three. 106-93. Lakers in front with nine seconds to go. Quinn Cook into the front court. He's going to dribble this one out. And as the horn sounds, it's been a long 10 years. But once more, the Los Angeles Lakers are NBA champions. LeBron James leading the Lakers to a record-tying 17th title and the fourth in his remarkable career, punctuating it with a triple-double. So it wasn't much of a game. The Lakers, who win the series 4-2, to had a 28-point lead at the half and then just cruised to victory. And so now the Lakers get their 17th championship. Uh, LeBron James, the first player to win titles uh, in L.A., Miami, and Cleveland. First one to go three different teams, and he was unanimous finals MVP. No, no surprise there. So no official word yet on next season when it's going to start. But most people think it's going to start maybe around January. And so now the NBA, which was having its it's going to be November 18th, but nevertheless, the Lakers get the championship beating the Miami Heat. Number four. I hope not. Uh, you know, I, I think Dan's been 
you, you know, nothing but a great head coach since he's been here. Um, we just haven't, we haven't done a good enough job, you know, as a team and, and as players. And uh, it's a hard business, that's for sure. But uh, we, we all love and respect what Dan does for this football team. We got to find a way as players to be better. Well, right now they're going to find a new head coach at the end of the season. Raheem Morris is taking over, and Thomas Dimitrov is going to be also fired as the general manager. So a clean sweep after an 0-5 start where you got a defense that gives up more than 30 points a game, and they just look listless right now. So Arthur Blank not wasting any time making that move. And so now... Dan Quinn, you kind of wonder what's his next gig because he would have to think he's going to be, uh, you know, more likely a defensive coordinator, not a head coach. And, you know, Pete Carroll did come out and said, hey, if he can help Dan out in any ways, he will. But Dan Dan Quinn, 43-42 in an NFC championship back in 2016, and the team has struggled ever since. Number five. I feel terrible for him. He was having a, a tremendous year, just you know, my short time working with him. He's he's made such an impression on me, and and he's you know clearly the leader of this football team, and I have no doubt that he'll he'll bounce back from this, and you know this will just be, be all part of his great story. This will, this will just be another chapter in a, in a great story. He's a he's a fine young man and an outstanding quarterback. Yeah, Dak Prescott getting compound fracture of his ankle. You can see him in the, in the cart. He was crying and certainly emotional because now his season is over. Four to six month recovery on this one. Uh, we don't know if there's any ligament damage, but this was bad. He had surgery last night. So now the Cowboys who were able to get the victory 37-34 over the Giants. Now Andy Dalton, the quarterback, and see how he can try to do. But uh, it's a big drop off because Dak was having a phenomenal year. The Cowboys are not. Their defense is just absolutely brutal. You would expect that Dak is going to be back in 2021. And then, of course, you know, the Cowboys have to get him to a contract, uh, which isn't going to be the easiest thing to do. But a big, big loss for the Cowboys. You know, two and three, but no Dak Prescott. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about uh, DK Metcalf, who all of a sudden is starting to look like a number one receiver. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, I'll tell you what, it's uh, interesting to kind of see how things change. And boy, you know, first off, you have to credit John Snyder for being able to trade up in the bottom half of the second round to get DK Metcalf. But watching his development has been phenomenal. I mean, and I think you can see that, you know, you know we know officially that Tyler Lockett is the number one receiver on the team. Uh, is going to be the guy that's going to get most of the catches. But I think what you're also seeing is DK Metcalf is such a matchup problem for everybody that uh, he's evolved into a number one type receiver and is mainly one of the go-to guys when uh, Russell Wilson needs a big play. And I know that we look at some of the numbers that uh, in the 21 games that he's played, you know, he's putting up numbers that uh, like like a Randy Moss, uh, Terrell Owens in their first 21 games. You know, some Hall of Fame type numbers. And I'm not saying that he's going to be a Hall of Fame type player, but I think what you're also saying that he is really, really good. And, uh, you know, he's feisty. He's willing to battle and have hand battles with the cornerbacks. He's not going to back down. And he's also so... uh, dominant as far as just being able to to make the big catch at the right time i know pete carroll was on today with uh, danny and gallant and he talked about metcalf dk metcalf on the game-winning touchdown what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown chris collinsworth said 
He ran that route like he wanted the ball. And it kind of seems redundant. Like, of course, a receiver wants the ball. But talking about the conviction he had, and it made me think of you telling us last year that DK is is a true competitor, like someone who really he wants those opportunities and wants to test himself. Yeah, he 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 now knows that they're coming. He, you know, he's in he's in the, the thick of it, and all that he could ever have dreamed for is is happening. And he's got the quarterback that, that loves him and trusts him, and, and he's got the coaches that are getting him in the situations. And so uh, he just has to grow into it. You know, there was a time, and I know they mentioned uh, Jerry Rice in, in, in last night or something, and Russ had mentioned something about Joe Montana or whatever. There was a time when Jerry Rice struggled. You know, and and Bill Walsh believed in him and kept him going. He dropped a bunch of balls in his rookie season. About halfway through it, uh, you know, he started to come out of it, and then he just exploded in world class all time ever. You know, type of play. And and uh, DK didn't have to go through that, but he's had his he's had his plays. You know, in in, in the first year, guys got the ball away from him a little bit, and he you know missed a couple balls maybe in the Philadelphia game that he had a chance in you know, that first one, first time we played those guys. He's had some disappointments, and he's going to continue to have to deal with those, but he'll deal with them less and less and less. And he is developing uh, into really a real factor on the team. And uh, I, I, it couldn't have been more obvious the way he and Russ were hooking up last night. And they didn't hit them all, you know, but you knew <laughs> you better watch out because he's coming to them. And so that will give us a real positive factor as we go forward because other teams are going to have to deal with that. And that lets other things become available. And so we'll try to, you know, be able to balance that thing out. Yeah, I'll tell you what, DK Metcalf is such a good one. And honestly, now what you're looking at is, and I know even though they've kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start down in Tampa Bay because of injuries of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you would have to put this duo of Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett among the best in football or somewhere. It's got to be in the top two or three because it's that good. I mean, he's he's doing so well as a player that, uh, you know, you've got to look at the numbers that he puts up and also just, you know, his willingness to make plays when necessary. And I don't know, uh, Curtis Rogers is like, uh, at one point, I mean, do you make him the number one receiver or do you just kind of have that great one-two combination? I think we're already at the point where DK Metcalf is the number one receiver. Just looking at the, the number of targets that that DK Metcalf and, and uh, Tyler Lockett have had over the last couple of weeks, Tyler Lockett coming into last night, he had, what, four targets in the game against Miami. I think he had four again last night. That's not the typical work share we're seeing from Tyler Lockett, or at least we've seen in his career. Yeah, he has more receptions than DK Metcalf does this year, but DK's got twice as many yards per reception. He's got about 150 more receiving yards. Uh, to me, I, I think DK Metcalf is Seattle's number one wide receiver right now, and we definitely saw that on the game's final drive where Russell hit DK Metcalf three separate times, uh, including the game winner. And then also there was this massive fourth and ten play. Three receivers to the right, Homer in the backfield. Here comes the blitz. Russ steps up, going to throw it deep. DK Metcalf reaches up, makes the catch, knocked out of bounds at the 40-yard line of the Vikings. Russell with a beautiful rainbow pass. Danzel, the rookie on coverage. Metcalf timed his leap, reaches up and gets it. Seahawks don't get in position to win if 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 DK doesn't come down with that catch. And uh, I did some math this morning looking at DK's pace through 16 games uh, in the 2020 season. If they continue at what he does over the first five games here, 
first five games, he's got 22 receptions, 496 yards, five touchdowns. Over 16 games, that would be 70 receptions, 1,587 yards, and 16 touchdowns in one season. That's all pro-level numbers. To me, I think DK is already the number one receiver. And yeah, he's got he's had some issues with ball security in the past. But, I mean, there have been some great receivers. Terrell Owens comes to mind. He had plenty of issues with ball security throughout the course of his career. That's just something that kind of comes with great receivers is sometimes they have trouble holding on to the ball, whether it be drops, fumbles, what have you. But if DK can really get that under control, John, I, I don't think he's just going to be a Pro Bowl receiver in his career. I think he could be a perennial All-Pro. We're talking, you know, somebody that is going to be a game-changer in the Seahawks franchise. Well, listen to these numbers. Okay, DK Metcalf in his first 21 games, 80 catches, 1,396 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Okay, how does that compare? Uh, Julio Jones in his first 21 has 80 catches, 1,272 yards, which is over 100 less than what Metcalf has, and 12 touchdowns. Calvin Johnson in his first 21 games, 71 catches, 1,133 yards, and seven touchdowns. I mean, DK tops him. Terrell Owens, 47 catches, 734 yards, and six touchdowns. In that case, it's not even close. Only one that's able to beat Metcalf is Randy Moss in his first 21 games, 90 catches, 1,678 yards, and 20 touchdowns. But, you know, you're talking about uh, what? Two Hall of Famers and a potential Hall of Famer in Calvin Johnson, who we vote on this year. Uh, I mean, that's Hall of Fame numbers. It absolutely is. And, and Julio Jones could also mm-hmm. one day end up in Canton, oh, he'll too. Oh, end up there, yeah. Yeah, those are five of the best receivers, or at least four of the best receivers the last 20 years or so. And DK is is nipping at their heels with each and every game. Uh, to think that he was taken with the final pick in the second round of the 2019 draft, all because of that pesky little three-cone drill, John. That three-cone drill that a lot of scouts are like, oh, I don't know if he can be a great receiver. Uh, where every other measurable he had pointed to stardom in the NFL. Uh, it just it boggles the mind, John, thinking yeah. back to that 2019 draft where he just fell to the Seahawks and, and fell into their lap, and all of a sudden now the Seahawks don't just have a, a good wide receiver. They've got one of the game's very best. No question. And, of course, uh, you know, it's, he is uh, you know, such a big physical force, and you can see that the trust is there with Russell Wilson. So it's a great one-two punch. But, yeah, right now you start to lean to the idea that uh, you know, he's number one. I mean, you would anticipate that Tyler Lockett's fine with all that because you know, he's one of the best slot receivers in football. I mean, he's considered to be uh, a Pro Bowl caliber receiver. But uh, you know, you'd have to think now that uh, you know, he, he's got to have some Pro Bowl voting. Oh, absolutely. And uh, looking at the number of targets that the receivers have have gotten on the Seahawks this year, DK leads the team with 39. Now, Tyler Lockett has one less than him at 38, but over the last couple of games, you can easily see the DK is getting uh, the bigger chunk of of work. I mean, Tyler Lockett, he's still catching at about 79% of his passes, which is, is just standard Tyler Lockett. Uh, but DK, he's been going deep every single game, and 
And yesterday we saw it that he was the one guy Russell Wilson was going to stare down the entire final drive of the game, and and DK came up huge. There was that one play in the end zone where uh, the ball was jarred loose from him, but luckily he was able to uh, to get it back on the game's final play. Yeah, and of course you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we want to take your phone calls, react in this bye week to the 5-0 and start. Give us a call at 866-979-3776 or 20. 20- 6421 ESPN. So again, number 866 979 ESPN 206421 John Clayton Show 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. The handoff to Carson starts right. Back up the middle. Pounds through one, through two. He's going to score. Touchdown, Seahawks. Chris Carson just runs over half of the Minnesota defense. The Seahawks have scored three touchdowns in the blink of an eye to start this second half. And Carson says, give me the ball. I'm going to run them all over. Pretty amazing. One, uh, three touchdowns in a minute 53, I think it was. And uh, the Seahawks able to come back at the 94-yard touchdown drive with Russell Wilson throwing the ball to DK Metcalf and winning the game 27 to 26. So, want to get your reactions? Uh, the thought on the five and O's start, the thought on Russell Wilson, your thoughts on is DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett the number one receiver? Or regardless, they have great relationships and both are in a good spot right now. And so, give us a call at 866-979-ESPN 206-421-ESPN and get your reaction to this uh, 5-0 and start. First time in team history the team has been 5-0 and and where this sets everything up well is that if you really look at the rest of the schedule, I mean it's not as hard as what the 49ers and all the other teams in the division have to go through because, you know, this even though they've taken on teams, all five teams that have losing records, well I guess you can say four because the Patriots are 2-2, two and two. Uh, but uh, you know, they, they have a, a lot of easier games against easier teams Teams. Obviously, the games in the division are going to be difficult, but because uh, it's a very difficult division. But you know, they may be able to catch the 49ers still in a couple weeks with the injury problems that they still have. And of course, you got Arizona now not having Chandler Jones in what's going to be the next game for Seattle after the bye. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Curtis, what do we have on the line? Well, John, I want to get your take yeah. on this for a quick second here. The Seahawks last year won so many close games. This year they're doing it the same way. Do you notice anything different about this year's team compared to last that maybe puts you a little more at ease with the 2020 bunch? Well, I mean, first off, the offensive line is better. And I think uh, even though it may not show in the sack totals of sacks allowed, uh, but, uh, you know, you can see Russ has more time. You know, I know that uh, ESPN uh, analytics with, uh, you know, what was there from Next Gen Stats still has the pass blocking of this team even after this game Sunday as the fifth best as far as the win rate. And they're kind of right in the middle of the pack as far as where they are for run blocking. But for a team that was so criticized for its uh, offensive line issues, uh, that's that's good. I think the difference, too, is that, you know, more first down passing. Uh, you know, kind of reverted a little bit to some of the problems that they had before, you know, not doing well on first down in the game, particularly in the first half on Sunday. But 
they were able to recover from that. Then, uh, you know, overall, I think that you can see how Russell is now, you know, moving around better and doing all the right things. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's yeah. give us a call. John, yeah. let's go across the country. we got Nick in New York joining us. Hey, Nick. Hey, John. How you doing? Uh, how you doing today? Doing well. How about you? Good, good. Good, good. Uh, New York, uh, first time, long time, of course. A uh, couple of things that stood out to me. Uh, the number one thing was Cody Barton, the way that he was uh, tackling. It was like he was kind of taking tackles. He was flying around, but it looked like he was going backwards a couple yards, almost every tackle. Yeah, but of course that's a that, that's a big thing. I mean, it's like when you're going against a good running back like Dalvin Cook. I mean, he's going to make you do it because you know watching Cook kind of reminded me of the game a year ago against New Orleans where Alvin Kamara came in there and kind of you know lowers his shoulder and you know make those type of runs. But you know, Martin was there for 14 tackles. Oh man, yeah, he was all over the place. It was great to see one of our youngsters doing something like that. And then uh, number two was the way Travis Homer picked up the block on that Metcalf touchdown to win the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of worried when I saw Homer in there, but then I saw him really attack and pick that block up. Do you think that's one of the reasons why he's one of the uh, one of the backups instead of maybe somebody like DJ Dallas? Well, no, I think it's more the experience and the fact that uh, Homer, because, you know, it's funny because, you know, DJ Dallas, who was his teammate at University of Miami, was considered to be one of the best blocking backs uh, in college last year. And that's one of his specialties. Right. And so, but, you know, you got yeah, Homer man. right now on the kickoff return team. And so, and the fact that, you know, he's placed, he's on the special teams, I think yeah. he has that edge. And now with DJ Dallas, and I think also yeah. the fact that, you know, you've got one more year of experience in DJ Dallas. Absolutely. I look forward to a crowded backfield when Penny gets in. That's not a bad thing going down the stretch. No, that should be pretty good. And, of course, then Carlos Hyde, <laughs> who's missed two games with a shoulder injury, he should be okay after the bye week. Yeah, thanks so much, John. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, Nick, hey, thank you. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. The, uh, give us a call here to react to the 5-0 and start. Again, this franchise has never been 5-0. and And so uh, that's that's one where – you, know, you you can look and you can see, and all of a sudden that number one seed possibility becomes a big. It uh, uh, seems very reachable because you know if you can go nine and one in the non-division games, and at the very least go three and three in the division games, now you're talking about a 12-win season, and maybe it could be a 13-win season. John, let's go out to John in Tacoma. He's on with the professor. Okay, John, how are you? What's your thoughts? Hey, professor, I'm great. I'm uh, stoked after the big win yesterday. Okay. And uh, thinking about our wide receiver, uh, I'm, wide receivers, I'm so excited about DK Metcalf, but um, to talk about Lock, Lockett, just watching him develop from that punt returner, getting injured, coming back, being our star receiver, I think he's going to settle into a number two role because one of his strongest traits is just being a team player. Yeah, but uh, that's the one thing is that, uh, you know, he he's one of the best slot receivers in football. And, of course, you'd like to have that outside guy. And it, it's funny because uh, it seems like the outside guy, if he's playing as well as Metcalf, you know, tends to get a little bit more of the action. And I'm not talking about the number of targets and things like that, but, uh, you know, gets more recognition. Because when you start to talk about, okay, how's the money breakdown once you start getting into the contract, the outside guys tend to get more than Lockin. Of course, you don't worry about that right now because you can't do a contract until his fourth year, and here's Metcalf in his second. But uh, right now, I mean, you've got the combination of one of the best slot receivers and a guy that knows how to get open for Russell Wilson, and now D.K. Metcalf. Yeah, I completely agree. 
Yeah, and so I big and physical. Agree, and and hopefully it's just going to get better and better between all of them. Oh yeah, I think so. And of course, uh, I mean, you can see this offense is in, in this franchise has never performed at this level. I mean, to have the physical running and pass catching of Chris Carson, you know, to be uh, you know deep right now at receiver. I mean, you're getting good things out of Freddie Swain. Certainly. Uh, David Moore has done a lot of big things and big plays in the first five weeks of the season. So this thing is really cooking on offense. Oh, yeah. And the more dominant DK gets, the more everything else will open up. They're going to have to start strategizing for everybody. Yep. And uh, looking over game plans game to game, we're going to have a lot to work with. So I'm excited. Go. Thanks for your uh, thoughts. And go Seahawks. Okay. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Give us a quick call here. Yeah, John, we got Evan in Puyallup. Okay, Evan, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Russell Wilson played phenomenal. The guy's a legend, MVP, but I just wanted to give a little shout-out to the defense. They've been kind of getting torched, but they uh, Cody Barton showed up for once, and uh, Bobby Wagner was there to uh, stop him on that last play, and when they had to uh, show up, they did. Well, I'll tell you the one guy that I, I know in a couple instances, whether it was on TV or on radio, uh, I kept wanting to get this name out there. But Jaron Reed performed at a, a very high level. I know at halftime, Mike Zimmer came out and said that they have to re, redo some adjusting on the offensive line to be able to handle Reed because he was so dominating. You know, whether it's getting pressure on the quarterback, whether it's winning against uh, Drew Samia, the uh, guard. I mean, what Samia had, had like three penalties trying to contain, uh, you know, Jaron Reed, but. He he really played a good game. Yeah, it was uh, it was great to see him show up. He's been pretty quiet this year so far, and um, I know Pete shouted him out on the uh, Pete Carroll show, and he uh, he had a good game as well. But yeah, I pretty much just wanted to call in and kind of just give them a shout out because I know they've been kind of getting talked down on, which is uh, understandable. But just like Russell, they did come up big when they had to. So they really did. And that was huge. Hey, thank you for the phone call. Uh, Chris, we have time for one more? Uh, we do. Let's go out to Spencer in Kirkland. Yes, Spencer. Hey, Professor, what's going on? Huh? So last night, you know, we love to see the uh, Seahawks go up 5-0. and uh, And, you know, Russell Wilson, the offense, obviously playing so well. But, you know, my concerns now kind of lie on the defensive side of the ball because coming into last night, you know, we had the concerns with the passing game. But then the run defense really struggled last night too. And, you know, my concerns are what's going to happen when playoff time comes around and we're going to have to stop these really good offenses that maybe we haven't been able to yet. Yeah, but of course that's a that's a league wide thing. I mean, you can go to Green Bay, you can go to New Orleans, I mean, you can go all around the league. I mean, look at even Kansas City. You know, they gave up forty points last night and uh, your yesterday. So again, this is just. I mean, it's an offensive league right now. And what's going to be interesting is that uh, you know, from the coaching standpoint, this is going to help Pete Carroll. Is now the phase goes. You know, they faced a lot of good passing offenses and they faced some good running offenses. Now they come up and start getting division games. So there's really good running offenses, and that's now what they can concentrate on having to stop. You know, they will have Jamal Adams back for the Arizona game and the San Francisco game, and you know, the uh, Quentin Dunbar, who you know, I think got some cramps yesterday, should be out there too. But I think overall, again, it's an offensive year. Defenses are having nothing but trouble. So what you say here in Seattle is true, but also is also true in Green Bay and all these other teams. Right. Right, definitely. Okay. Hey, thank you for the phone call. Anything, you know, like... 
Okay, so, hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. Professor's Notes brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines, check out what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Cousins is going to roll right. He's going to look. The ball is intercepted. K.J. Wright reaches up about 13 feet in the air and pulls it down. What a play by number 50. He had three of them a shot at last week and didn't bring one in that time. A fabulous one-handed interception by the spider, K.J. Wright. What a big play in the Seahawks again in scoring territory against the Vikings. Yeah, what a great play. And, of course, uh, K.J. after the game said that, uh, you know, he worked with tennis balls uh, as something that, you know, the defensive line coach and the defensive coaches always try to do to get, you know, Bailey to do it. And it was a one-handed catch. Remember, he had two drops of interceptions last week. But what a great game by K.J. Wright. Pete Carroll, of course, uh, having his press conference and giving an injury update right now. Uh, you know, nothing new on uh, – well, it looks like everything should be able to go uh, be a go for Jamal Adams, Philip Dorsett, Mike Yapod. Uh, they should go. The only new injury was a swollen knee for Anthony Rush that had to be drained, but he was the only new addition to the injury list last week or uh, in the game Sunday. So they're in good shape there. As far as Snacks Harrison, he, you know, Snacks right now has to get in shape. So he really didn't do too much in pads or anything because he's just not there yet. Uh, he'll have you know the extra week or so to try to get ready because this is a bye week. Of course, it was also a week where we've had our second coaching change, former Seahawks coach Dan Quinn, he was fired uh, last night. General Manager Thomas Dimitrov was fired last night. So Rich McKay takes over as kind of running the football operation, and they will now have to look to see after the season what they're going to do for a new head coach. Raheem Morris takes over, but I don't think it's a surprise. And you know, honestly, I think you know we're going to have seven or eight, or if not more, coaching changes this year because you can look at most of the teams that have uh, you know coaching coaches on the hot seat and they're all losing i mean doug marone now who's on the hot seat he set an nfl record by losing three straight games to winless teams how bad is that then uh you know obviously last week bill o'brien was fired romeo Cornell was able to get the victory as the interim coach you know adam gaze continues to look like the most lost coach in the nfl i mean he continues to do so bad that the team is non-competitive and always does is add to the injury list because now you can see that you know, Mika uh, Becton, the left tackle, he couldn't play because he had him on the wrong way out there with a uh, injury, and he gets re-injured in the uh, one game, and boom, now he's done. You know, you've got your quarterback Sam Darnold; he's out because he's had to you know miss time with uh, a shoulder injury, an AC joint that uh, is may keeping him out for a couple weeks. But uh, yeah, so Dan Quinn available right now, and I would imagine that uh, you know, do you think that anybody will bring him in as a uh, just to kind to help out uh i would imagine so i think he's got a great defensive mind one of the better defensive minds in the nfl uh i think he's somebody that at least for a coordinator position would definitely be a candidate do you think john dan quinn would be a candidate for any of the seven or eight head coaching vacancies you sort of projected this yeah, offseason? i don't think so no because i mean say what you want and this is maybe unfair but i think that the trend is going to continue to be trying to get offensive head coaches because uh you know you can see the importance of offense and so defensive coaches get put toward the back and so uh and you've watched that now for the last couple of years and i do think because you know the rooney rule has been so 
uh, not misused, I guess, uh, that you're going to see more minority hires. And so I think it's going to be very difficult for Dan to get a job in the next couple of years as a head coach. Well, and I think one that leaps to the forefront of that conversation would be Eric Bieniemy, yeah. the offensive coordinator in Kansas City, who a lot of people thought was uh, qualified for one this last offseason, stayed in Kansas City. I think it's just a matter of time before he gets a head coaching gig somewhere in the NFL. Uh, John, also the big story in the NFL yesterday, Dak Prescott going down with that compound fracture in his ankle. He'll miss the rest of the season. Uh, obviously, that is a story in and of itself, but then there's also the story of Dak Prescott's contract situation, which wasn't necessarily settled this last offseason. He could be tagged again in the 2021 uh, year, but, John, he's got a compound fracture. Would the Cowboys want to use that tag again on him? Do you think they get an extension done with him, or is he set for free agency? Well, I mean, I think they have to get a deal done because they don't have the luxury with a $175 million cap to put up $37.7 million in a, a one-year deal. They can't do it. I mean, I'm not talking about from the finances of it. I'm just talking from the cap standpoint. I mean, they have to find a way to get that number somewhere in the 20s because, I mean, if you only have a $175 million cap and you have 37.7 in one player, you just can't do it. I mean, and particularly with some of the high salaries that they have. And you talk about a team like San Francisco and Philadelphia just bludgeoned with injuries. And what are they? You got 10 starters now that are down? Because they're, you know, they they lose Tyron Smith, their left tackle. He's got neck problems. His season is done. Although Collins is done, you know, they got uh, Leighton Vanderesh coming back from a, a collarbone break, and then uh, Sean Lee is down. Uh, the, Joe Joe Looney, they had to put him on the three-week injury list because he has a knee problem. I mean, this thing is a mess. Yeah, absolutely, it's a mess. Speaking of messes in the NFL, John, how about the scheduling that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks? What is it, six games got altered over the next couple of weeks? Uh, Multiple bye weeks got shuffled around. The NFL still has not uh, instituted an 18th week of the season, but with all the madness going on and how they're going to try to fit all these games in into a 17-week schedule, do you think an 18-week schedule is an, is an inevitability at this point? Yeah, I think it's inevitable. But the thing is you can understand why they don't want to do that now is because once you get uh, past all the bye weeks, then uh, that 18th week may have to become a 19th week. Because what happens if you have a team like Tennessee that has to make up maybe two games and they have their bye week already gone? And so that that, that you can understand the thinking there and uh you know and now we're starting to get the overreaction of different uh you know people saying oh they should shut the season down and it's like give me a break i mean it's like you know uh tennessee is a disaster and they deserve heavy sanctions and i would imagine once they get this game done on tuesday that uh they'll have to make the announcement of what they're going to do to them because they have been a total disaster but you know when you're talking you know one player or two players I mean, it's, you still don't have the big numbers, even though, again, you've got so many players. I mean, you've got, you got 69 players uh, on the team, and that doesn't count injured reserve. Yeah, it's just madness right now in Tennessee. Uh, looking at those those made-up games, John, uh, yesterday, just how did the NFL decide how to put games where and, and why and who and what? Yeah, and all, the, just the craziness. I, honestly, when they sent that release out, uh, which was you know right at the beginning of the early games, it's like uh, I, I I couldn't even read it. I mean, it didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> you know, it's like I was you know I have to go through uh, you know my all my different uh, databases and that. And like for example, uh, 
you know, one of the ones that I do, I keep track of missed starts because of injuries. And, of course, that number is significantly huge. And it's like I was trying to put in the bye weeks, and it's like I, I, I couldn't even figure out what, what new bye weeks are all there. I mean, it's just so confusing. Yeah, it's just one of the craziest things. Like you said, John, just reading that release yesterday, yeah. uh, if you didn't have a headache after reading all the craziness that the NFL put out there, uh, more power to you, I guess, because mm-hmm. it was just so hard to comprehend all the craziness. I couldn't even keep it down. Hey, coming up next, we're going to check in with Bob Condota, the Seattle Times. Pete Carroll just had his press conference over there. We'll get the updates from what's going on at the Seahawks as they hit the bye week. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.